If I close my eyes and quiet my mind, I can drift back 30 years, summer of 1990. My husband and I are pastoring a large church in a small town. And it's a town without a lot of daycare or day camps. And it's the dead of summer and also known in those days as vacation Bible school season. In that town, the churches would coordinate. Every church took a different week. And on my church's week, on Monday morning, 300 children showed up for vacation Bible school. My volunteers weren't ready for that. They needed some time to get ready. And they asked me to keep the kids in worship and hang on to them and allow them to kind of revamp what they were going to do. So it was the olden days. There was no video, just me and the person with a piano. So we read the Bible story. We kind of played a silly game. We had a skit, and then we began to sing. And after 20 minutes, every song we had planned for Vacation Bible School had been sung, and they still needed more time. That's when our music director decided to pull out a new song to teach this rambunctious little group of kids. It, um, it was fun. It had some complicated movements. It had a catchy kind of hoedown rhythm. And the most important thing is it could be sung in a round. That means you could sing it over and over again <clears throat> for a very long time. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Open prison doors sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Swing up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. We sang it over and over again, <laughs> and it was a hit. And for years, that song showed up on our Bible school song list. We would play the first few bars. The kids would recognize that hokey rhythm. They would remember the motions, and they would join in. Well, this morning, our scripture passage from Exodus 17, it's that kind of recognizable hit. It's a story so profound, so foundational in the arc of God's relationship with Israel that the Bible refers to it over and over again. The desert of Meribah, that's the Hebrew word for quarrel, is remembered in the Psalms over a dozen times. The prophet Isaiah and the prophet Ezekiel mention this event. And the apostle Paul and the author of Hebrews actually use this desert of Meribah as a sermon illustration. Yes, this story of a quarreling people an exasperated leader and a merciful God creates a memorable song whose refrain appears again and again in Scripture. So that begs the question, what makes this story valuable enough to be retold, to be remembered, and to be honored? Well, I believe people of faith recognize this tale like a melody that we've heard before, that we've sung before, that we've danced to before, this story is familiar. You know, the Israelites started out so well. They were energized. They were inspired. They were excited. But the wilderness time grew long. 
and their memory of God's mighty deeds and gracious care grew dim. Fear took over, and the desert began to work a deadening power upon them. They grew thirsty, and they quarreled. They quarreled with one another, they quarreled with Moses, and ultimately they quarreled with God. Everything came to a head at the place that Moses named Meribah. That's where their cries and their groans overwhelmed Moses. Oh God, Moses said, what do I do with this people? Honestly, leaders of churches have prayed this prayer ever since then. Oh God, what do I do with this people? This quarreling people who can't agree on how to worship, on how to do mission, on how to work for social justice or how to study scripture. This quarreling people who want to look back to the past instead of moving into God's new future. This quarreling people who want to walk by success, by numbers, by guarantees, and not by faith. Oh God, what do I do with this people? Friends, I recognize us in this story. I recognize my family in this story. I recognize our country in this story. Ultimately, the quarreling of the faithful boils down to one important question, just one. And it's in the seventh verse of that passage we read this morning. The question is this, is the Lord here with us or not? Is God in this or not? Are we alone in our thirst and our fear? Or is God working and leading us in this? When my daughter was about three, we went through a period for a couple of months when she would go to bed for about an hour and then wake up with a night terror. Every night it was the same. She would wake up screaming, thinking that she'd been left alone by mommy and daddy. It was really hard. It was sad. And it didn't matter that every night when she woke up, there we were trying to assure her, saying, you know, we're here, didn't matter. Every night she still feared being abandoned. Well, the Israelites were led during the day by a cloud, and they were led by night by a pillar of fire. They had manna, they had quail, all provided by God, but they still worried, is God in our midst or not? What if God isn't here? Moses, this faith thing, it's hard. Friends, I recognize us in this story. This pandemic is brutal and uncertain, and it has disrupted our lives, our community, our church. It's caused mental health issues for some that we love, loneliness and isolation for many, not to mention the illness and loss and grief, economic cost. And that question, is God in this or not, with us or not, working and leading us through this or not, it's as critical today as it was for the ancient Israelites. I recognize us in this story. The cries for justice and the unveiling of systemic racism in our culture, these are difficult things, divisive things, hard things. They demand much from us. And that question, is God in this or not, with us or not? Is God working and leading us into a more perfect union 
where all people are judged by their character and not the color of their skin. Is God in this here calling us perhaps to a wilderness of relearning and rethinking our citizenship? It's a critical question as critical today as it was for ancient Israel. Thanks be to God, Israel's story doesn't end with this question. No, it ends with an answer. And thanks be to God, in this story, we hear this sweet refrain of God's mercy. Because God doesn't write off the grumblers and quarrelers. God doesn't leave them in their fear and doubt. No, according to the story of Meribah, God stands in front of a huge rock for Moses. He stands there veiled to the eyes of the congregation. And it's God who releases the water, the life-giving water, from that rock. The congregation, they see a staff. They see Moses strike the rock. But it is God who not only quenches the people's thirst, but creates faith in a quarreling people. It is God who again moves over the chaos, and this time it's the chaos of wilderness to create something good and life-giving, ordered and redeeming. Each of us, every church, at some point comes to a place called Meribah, where we think we might die of thirst, where we ask the question, is the Lord here with me or not? In this struggling marriage, in this devastating diagnosis, in this depression, we ask, can I recover financially with my career lying in ruin? Can I get into that college with this SAT score or this GPA? Will I be able to recover from my grief? Can I move on? Can I love again? Can I start over? You and I and the church, we know this dry place, this place of quarrel, this Meribah. We know what it means to be without power, without hope, to feel alone and cut off. Perhaps you're even there today, sensing that you've gone as far as you can go, that you have new resource left, asking the question, where is God? This is exactly where Ezekiel found himself. This is Ezekiel's story. The prophet Ezekiel in the 37th chapter finds himself in a place like Meribah, a valley of dry bones. And he has a vision of the ruined, devastated nation of Israel. This is centuries after the Exodus, centuries after the life-giving, God-ordained water coming from the rock. But as Ezekiel surveys the valley of bones, he remembers the Exodus story. And he can still hear the refrain of God's mercy and grace. The prophet Ezekiel envisions the whole people of Israel, devastated by their loss of a king and property and political autonomy. And he sees them as a vast wasteland of dry bones. In the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, the prophet carefully records there were very many, and they were very dry. Can these bones live? Ezekiel heard that question coming from the very mouth of God. And listen to his answer. His faithful answer. I answered, O Lord God, you know. I love this about Ezekiel. 
There he is looking out over a vast valley of very dry bones, total devastation. He looks out over this morbid, sad, ruinous sight. He gulps a few times. He thinks over all of the crazy things he has seen and experienced in God's presence. And then he leaves the whole thing in God's hands. I don't know, God. It looks pretty bad to me. It looks pretty dead to me. It looks pretty hopeless to me. But you know. You know what's possible. You know what can happen. Your power is greater than this vision. You know, O oh Lord. You know. That, my friends, is faith. That is the answer of someone who recognizes God's song of redemption and new life. Well, you know what happened next, right? A noise, a rattling, a rush of ruach or breath or wind in Hebrew, and those dry bones walk and talk, and they're restored. Israel restored to life, hope blossoming, resurrection by the power of God in the most unlikely way and in the most unlikely place. Like water from a rock, without asking, without warning, Instantly, the dry bones are transformed. Life comes out of nothing. Hope comes when there is none. It's a sure sign of resurrection, a sure sign of the Spirit of God at work. Water from a rock in the desert, dry bones coming alive. What incredible good news. Friends, let's remember this day that we worship a resurrecting God. We need a resurrecting God. When we reach those Meribah places, when the questions compounding in our ears, can these bones live or where is God? When we're confronted by hard work to be done or the uncertainty of a pandemic, let us be like Ezekiel knowing enough about our God, recognizing enough about our God, that we hold out the possibility that no one and no situation, no dry place is beyond the resurrecting power of God's love. That no one, no situation, no dry place is beyond God's presence and recreating. Whether we see it or not, Feel it or not, God's recreating, life-giving spirit, it gushes out of even the rockiest, driest places. That is the story, the song of faith. Spring up, O oh well, within my soul. Spring up, O oh well and make me whole. Spring up, O oh well, and give to me that life abundantly. Let us pray. God, we thank you that in the driest of places and in the most unlikely situations, when our questions are hard and answers seem far away, that your spirit rushes in. We ask that you allow us to bring to you our questions, our doubts, our fears, 
that you allow us to bring to you our dry places. And we are bold to ask for your spirit to wash over us, to make us whole and make us well. In Jesus' name, amen.